Welcome. Welcome to a college where over 4,000 students engage God's world with curiosity, wonder, and courage. Where they walk alongside some of the best professors in the country. Where they gain real-world experience through research, internships, and service learning. Where they have the opportunity to study in over 30 countries. And from where they can join a network of over 60,000 alumni who think deeply, act justly, and live wholeheartedly as Christ's agents of renewal in the world. Welcome to Calvin College. Hello, I'm Cleese Riesma. I'm a second year student at Calvin Theological Seminary and also a campus ministries intern here on campus. And I would like to welcome you to the January series 2014. Please take a moment to silence your cell phones. While you are doing that, we would like to give a special welcome today to the guests at three of our 44 remote webcast sites. Portland, Oregon, Grand Haven, Michigan, and Chino, California. We will be gathering questions today through question and answer cards available with our ushers or by email or Twitter. So feel free to think of those questions during the presentation and start sending them in. Our moderator, Rick Truer, will gather the questions and present them at the end if time is allowed. And now, if you will please pray with me. Gracious Father, we thank you for the gift of today. We especially thank you for your servant, Linda Smith, and the work she is doing to fight child prostitution. Our hearts break when we hear about the local, national, and international victims of prostitution. We pray, Father, for your healing, your hope, and your presence. O oh Lord, come quickly. Please open our hearts and our minds as we listen and learn today. May we be challenged to see where we can help further your kingdom, Lord, to bring about your shalom. We ask all these things in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. And now, Dr. Michael Leroy, the president of Calvin College, will introduce our guest. Another great day in the January series. Our speaker today, Linda Smith, is a leader in the global movement to end sex trafficking of women and children. In 1998, while a member of Congress from the state of Washington, the state where I grew up, Smith traveled to Mumbai, India, and its Falkland Road, a notorious brothel district. Seeing the hopeless faces of women and children forced into prostitution compelled her to found Shared Hope International, which she established to support shelter and service creation, uh, and service creation for sex tra trafficking survivors using a comprehensive model for restoration. Shared Hope partners with local organizations to provide restorative care, shelter, and education and job skills training. In 2001, Smith established the War Against Trafficking Alliance, WATA, coordinating regional and international efforts necessary to combat sex trafficking. In 2003, 
The Alliance co-sponsored with the U.S. State Department a World Summit on Trafficking uniting leaders from 114 nations that demonstrated sustained commitment to protect the vulnerable from sex, the sex trade. Six international summits have followed, leading governments around the globe to pass and better enforce human trafficking laws. Smith has spoken out against the trafficking of women and children in domestic and global forums before the, before the Congress and at the Helsinki Commission hearings. Smith has also been featured frequently in the media on these issues and in 2009 won the Soar Optimist Making a Difference for Women Award, which honors women who have improved the lives of women and girls throughout their professional and volunteer work. Her compassionate and uncompromising belief that every individual has dignity has carried Smith from advocating for permanent safe homes for children in, Washington, in the Washington State Senate to the halls of Congress and to international venues. We are honored to have her here at Calvin College today and are grateful to Wedgwood Christian Services for underwriting today's presentation. Please welcome Linda Smith. Well, thank you, President Leroy. Um, I just actually was where you left. I just spoke at another university, Gonzaga, right close to where it came from. But you're pretty fortunate to have him right here, and, and um, it's a loss to our state. I wanted to um, tell him, though, that he has to work here harder because Michigan's law is a little weaker than Washington State's in protecting children, so I will come back next year and expect him to have fixed it. Now, I was watching the news this morning, and, and for you that are from Michigan, raise your hand if you're from Michigan. Yeah, a lot of you. Mm -hmm. I've got some good news. You've got a great economy. Obviously, I watched working out this morning. I'm going, hey, there's a lot of states that would like to see that. Your business economy is growing, I hear. Now, I'm watching your news. Some of you could debate that, depending on your opinion, your business, and, and uh, your background. But I started thinking this morning that it was really a good day for me to be here because you have another business that your president and the college has asked me to come talk about, and that is the buying and selling of American children for sex. The sexual acts in the commercial sex industry. I was thinking... Um, what a great hospitality it has been. I'm picked up by this wonderful young man, uh, Ben DeVries, and he is on time, in fact, trying to find me frantically because I came to the wrong gate, but continued to be just delightful. And then Dr. Chapman escorts me yesterday and, and is, is so warm. And then today, Deanna Dahl. You have surrounded me with really nice people, and I need that because I work in something that's rather scary, but also not very nice. I want to take you back a little bit and talk with you, though, about how I got here. I told God, no. I know you don't know as a laugh or go, no, don't do that. But I had been called and told about some children that were being prostituted. And they were in India, and 
a missionary called and talked 45 minutes and he wouldn't stop talking and, and uh, finally uh, diplomatically because he wasn't even from my congressional district and as a member of Congress I usually had five minutes per call because I represented over a million people and he wouldn't stop talking and I thought well that was very disturbing but I then couldn't sleep so I got um, privately funded a trip to Mumbai, India, took one of my staff with me, and I asked Teen Challenge. Anybody know what Teen Challenge is? I bet you do, don't you? Well, they work with boys that are drug addicted on the streets of Mumbai, and they took me down and they showed me what I'd heard about. And it wasn't like, oh, God, send me. It was, oh, God, get me out of here. And it became the beginning. It was the beginning of a wrestling match that I had with myself saying, this is something hard to even experience, God, much less do anything about the big numbers, the cultures. And then I met Ganga. Ganga had been sold by her father at 10. She didn't know that. She thought she was coming from a village bringing wares in to sell in Mumbai on the train. And she turned around once she got there at the end of her destination, and Daddy was gone. But a man looked at her crying and says, So, honey, okay, okay, you can come with me, and I'll take you, and my wife will take care of you. He was a trafficker. She was kept in the dark for a year, fed little, fought lots, and finally gave in and was prostituted four years before I got there. There were a small group of girls with Ganga, and one of them, uh, they asked if I'd pray for her. She was very sick. They heard that I was a believer, and they weren't sure. I think a congressman, a politician, and a believer didn't seem to fit. And I didn't understand the language, but I understood the body language. And uh, finally, I thought, well, you know, I'm going to pray for her. But everything smelled, and it was dirty. And the girls, even that I was there, they were being pulled out to the stall and used and brought back in just the time that I was there. But they were interested in me, and I thought, well, I'll pray for her. Now, guys, you grab the arm. Women, you're more likely to put your arms around somebody. I kind of do both, depending on who it is. But I was going like this. She just kind of came and fell into me. I have been changed. It never will send me back. I felt that baby's heartbeat. I think she was a young teenager. She was so thin. And she was sick. And it was like, oh God, I don't know what to do with her. And yet from that moment, I started building services around the world. And I can't go back. Because God showed me that she was enough. She was enough. I don't have time right now to go into the foreign trafficking. Many of you knew, like me, that that's what trafficking was. So for eight years, I built villages around the world. Many of them we still operate, and I raised the kid. They get good educations, and several are in college from that first group. But that's not what I'm going to talk about today. I was appalled to find those girls were arrested and the men that were buying them didn't go to jail. And once they were labeled prostitutes, then they were considered the criminal. I wrote an actual human rights report for the Department of State because I do that kind of thing also. And I was mad. I said, it's barbaric. They charged the child. They say she's a prostitute. And then, instead of being a rape victim, a kidnap victim, an assault victim, she's the perpetrator. Well, along the way... 
I started being asked to do other investigations. I have another company. It's stale right now. I mean, I don't have any activity in it. But it investigates trafficking patterns with third-party contractors that are for... They would be like Interpol former FBI, that type of thing. And they go in as if they're buyers, sellers, sometimes traffickers, and all that information goes to the Justice Department. I'm a human rights investigator, I guess, simply that would explain some of the things that I do. I kept being challenged, though, when I would speak around the world, and I would tell people about what I had seen in their country, and I was sent in by our government. And they would say, well, what about America? And I said, well, we don't have that usually. Oh, yeah, sure. You can tell us. I mean, this is some of the more blunt conversations. They're more diplomatic than that usually. But you could feel it. So I was asked to do an economic study. I was chair of the business committee in Congress, and so I think that way, of the market of trafficking in different regions in the world. And so I thought, well, that's right up my alley. I can do that. So I laid out a strategy, and I decided I'd add America. I'd find out where the product came from, who was managing it, who was selling it, what countries it came from, who was buying it. And I got the languages all lined up that I thought I would need for interpreters if we got a girl, and we went out. I started getting all of the investigative material back, and one video clip. Isn't it always one person that compels us? And that's, that's because Jesus is in us. One person should make a difference. I heard a giggle from the back of a car. And my operative was, was shooting over his shoulder. He is actually from New Zealand, has this accent. I can always pick, her, pick out when it's that particular one. And he was bargaining for what was in the back seat. And I heard a giggle, and it sounded like my granddaughter. And then another little chatter, and I thought, those are middle school girls. And the result of what I found was that the biggest product in the United States didn't need those interpreters. The biggest product in the United States was Americans, middle school girl. And as I presented the research, I've done uh, somewhere around 14 research projects for the U.S. government on different parts of the United States and the world, most of that in the United States now. I started realizing that it was the same market all over the United States. But as I looked at the federal law, which is the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, it's fairly strong. And I decided that I had to go back to my roots as being the head of Children and Family Services for the state of Washington Senate and one of the Senate leaders. And I needed to do something else. Now, I think it says time is over. My, is that right? Have I gotten that far? It's blinking at me, time is over. I guess I just need to be sure <laughs> that it is actually right. I would like, though to have you see a very short video. And I want to show you what we're doing now. And then I would like you to ask me questions about what we're doing now. I think just like those little girls didn't get justice and the buyers should have gone to jail and it might have shown people that it was a crime, I think in America what we found is the state laws do not prosecute the buyers. So let's go to demanding justice. In 2006, the U.S. Department of State asked Shared Hope International a simple question. What is driving the markets of sex trafficking? But we found a more insidious, pervasive force propelling the commercial sex industry forward and creating the market for sex trafficking. Demand. 
people who purchase sex acts with children intentionally or carelessly and with little fear. It's the world of, it's the world of prostitution. I mean, you, you never know what you're gonna get and if it's gonna be a pretty girl, ugly girl. But the truth is, it's not prostitution because there is no such thing as a child prostitute. Here's why. There is a federal law called the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, which states that any minor used in a commercial sex act is a victim of sex trafficking. And anyone buying or selling that child is engaging in the crime of sex trafficking. And this happens in America. A 2010 study conducted by the Shapiro Group measured demand for commercial sex with children in Georgia. It found that over 400,000 men in Georgia today have bought sex with a young female. And in any given month, 7,200 men will buy sex with an adolescent female in Georgia. Three escalated warnings were given to callers seeking to buy sex with a, quote, young female. 47% of the men were undeterred, and it's not just Georgia. What does this mean for the rest of our nation? We investigated cases that have been brought against buyers in the past five years. We wanted to see how many buyers are actually arrested for their crimes and what type of sentences they face. If there's no demand, there'll actually be no supply. If I put something on a shelf and no one is buying it, I'm gonna take it off the shelf. I'm not the cause of prostitution, and I've been, sometimes I make mistakes and I may go out there, but I didn't pick her up in no day going to a playground. She wasn't at the, uh, hiding behind the school bus or getting off a school bus. This is a, this is a working girl that came to my and came to my room. It's all clean. I don't have to worry about your feelings. I can't worry about you know. Uh, uh, it's all clean. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's right, but God, I think. It's the old profession in the world. They want what they want and they want to get gone. I don't think no man that have anything to do with prostitution care about any female. I got into a car with a buyer and a few minutes later the police pulled us over and they pulled me out of the car and the buyer on his face, he thought I was the police, like you know, he had a confused look on his face. But then when I got pulled out of the car, like you know, like they were very rough on me, like, you know, come with us, you know, they read me my rights, but they told the buyer, hey, you know, you need to get out of there. The TVPA carries hefty penalties for buyers, but this is a federal law. What about the state laws? If a state does not have strong laws to prosecute buyers, buyers are lightly punished, if at all, and therefore undeterred. Michael Gilliland, the former Sunflower Farmers Market's CEO, was charged with felony child prostitution in Arizona after soliciting sex with a person he believed to be a teenager. He faced a sentence that ranged from probation to 18 months in prison. He was sentenced to only 30 days in prison. Gilliland is not alone. Lawrence Taylor, Hall of Fame linebacker for the New York Giants and guest commentator on ESPN, paid $300 for sex with a 16-year-old girl in a New York hotel room. Under the federal TVPA, Taylor could have been convicted of a felony with a sentence of 10 years in prison and a $250,000 fine. But in a New York state courtroom, he pleaded guilty to two misdemeanors and was sentenced to just six years of probation, not a day in jail. 
and the victim, the 16-year-old girl, was left to rebuild her life without justice. Studies of men who buy sex in Boston and Chicago found that 80% of men would be deterred from purchasing sex if they had to serve jail time if caught. Almost 90% of the men in Boston said they would be deterred if they had to register as a sex offender as a consequence. So in addressing the issue of demand, it becomes hard for us uh, during the course of our investigations to identify the various buyers that are out there. Oftentimes they have very limited interaction uh, with the individuals providing the services. Uh, they, the girls typically don't keep good records. And so during the course of our investigations, it becomes increasingly more difficult to identify and prosecute them. So few buyers being arrested for their trafficking crime, and how many of those are actually punished? As a nation, are we doing everything we can to protect our children? Are we enforcing our criminal laws against sex trafficking? Shared Hope International is investigating which states are letting buyers walk free and which states are demanding justice. I don't think that Lawrence Taylor realized that he would be the star of a show, but I do know he thought he had got off. It appears that the reason, one of the biggest reasons men would not buy is they don't want it to affect their personal lives. They don't want it to affect their families. So if it would affect their families, it would affect their personal life if it was public, it then is logical that we make all of those 407 initial cases and the 200 we're investigating right now public. You should be able to go online and see something which we're building that shows you what's happening in your state, not just in the law, but in the practice of law. Are the prosecutors prosecuting individuals that would buy commercial sex with children in your state, in your community. We're building information right now that we intend on releasing later this year that summarizes this particular study to give you more information, not just to show what's happening, not just to show whether there was justice or not, and not just to show whether the laws in your state are being followed, if the laws are there at all, but also to start raising awareness of what's really happening. The protected innocence challenge is something you're going to hear a lot more about, hopefully, in this state, or at least your grade. Many states got way ahead of Michigan, and three years ago, we gave every state a brief, and the policymakers that wanted it, we helped in changing their laws in 41 places to assure that trafficking with children is a crime to begin with. In Michigan, it is not identified as a crime. In fact, it's not listed if you buy children for sex, is what I'm talking about. It's not listed as a CSEC crime either, a sexual exploitation of children crime. If you're the seller, there's some laws, but if you're the buyer, it's a pretty safe place, Michigan is to buy kids for sex. Now, that would have been okay if Illinois hadn't got ahead of you. Illinois is actually, and you're from Illinois, I always said it two different ways there, so you can decide which one's wrong. Um, they just changed their law to where I wouldn't want to buy 
sex with a kid in Illinois. They're starting to get their laws tough like the federal law that says you get 10 years if you're caught by a fed, federal um, investigation if you have, or at least 15 if they're young. Illinois has gotten some strong laws. And I looked all around you. Indiana's getting stronger. Ohio's getting stronger. Iowa's getting stronger. Minnesota's getting stronger. Wisconsin's strong. And then right in the middle of that is Michigan. This is going to now become a safe place, and I think it could become a tourist destination. Because all the other states are saying, kids are not for sale in our state. So you from Michigan, California, Maine, go online to the Protected Innocence Challenge, pull up your 40 to 60 page brief on your law, the two-page report card, and hit the Capitol. Go to your legislators, go to your governor and say, hey, I don't want kids to be for sale in our state, and guys that buy sex with kids here should go to jail, and you can make a difference. Now, some of the states that have already passed laws, like Washington State... I'm camping on. Of course, I live there. I'm saying, I don't like it. I, three years ago, helped you change your law to make it a felony. 47 states have a felony for buying commercial sex with a kid now, which is great. It makes the crimes more trackable. They can't just bounce around after they had misdemeanors with nobody knowing they buy kids. But I'm not liking the number yet of the prosecutions. Give me bigger numbers. Because you had the law now long enough. Now, am I really wanting to go after these guys to hurt them? No. But do I believe justice is right? Yes. And if we continue to say that things like commercial sex or prostitution, stripping, pornography are okay in our society, guys, they have our lunch. They destroy our marriages. So I believe that right now, one of the strongest things you can do as activists, and I was asked to speak on this, is change your law to make it strong enough. You shouldn't be the bottom third. You could be where you were two years ago because nobody else was very high. But they've got ahead of you. And I looked at what a beautiful place it is. It's a tourist destination site, isn't it? I didn't realize just how beautiful it was. And when that snow's gone, I just imagined that it's even prettier. <laughs> I know that was... Um, I just came from Spokane where you're president was in that, down in that part of our state, and, and uh, they got a lot of snow this time of the year, too. Michigan. I want to point at Michigan, because I'm here, but everybody out there listening can go to your state, go to sharedhope.org, and just clip on the banner that says Protected Innocence Challenge, and pull up your state. You've got a two-page report card. Look at it. It's categorized in six areas. One of them, do you have a law against buying kids and selling kids in your state called Trafficking Act? Second, do the guys that buy kids, are they criminals? Do the guys that sell them or women sell them? Are they bad criminals? Are the facilitators, the hotels, etc., the taxi drivers, are they criminals? They are under the federal law. And do you have laws like wiretap? Do you have rape shield so you can prosecute these cases? Are your police even trained in the law that you have about trafficking? Look at that. Become a student. The first thing you can do is be informed. You can at least say why we need to change the law. But like Washington, if there isn't an application of law, 
I still think in your law, I could find rape laws I could apply if they wouldn't arrest the girl first. There's ways of getting around some of it, but it's not happening because I've looked for cases where there's commercial sexual exploitation of children, and I can't find buyers that are prosecuted. Anybody out there in Michigan that has a case, send it to Linda Smith at sharedhope.org because I found one. Now, maybe we're not looking in the right pot, but I, I think we are. So I would say that even though you might have a few laws before new ones finally pass, hopefully they do this year, but they're not being applied because they, like the rest of the states, call the girl a prostitute, and like the first little ganga that I rescued in India so many years ago, once they're called a prostitute, they're arrested, and once they're arrested, they don't qualify for the services for a victim of a crime because they're part of the crime. We have locked them up even from services in most states. So we have to make that child at least a victim's qualifying for services, even if for some reason your state is not ready yet to not arrest them for fear they wouldn't know what else to do with them because you don't have enough services. You do have Manasseh here, and there are services starting all over the nation, but there still are not a good enough places for these people. So good law enforcement that are waking up are saying, well, I get her for a moment, and at least the pimp doesn't have her, and there is some credibility to that, although would you like to be arrested for the crime committed against you and told you? It's good for you. You probably wouldn't. And it would reinform what the pimp told you, that I know where I got you, I can get you again. If you tell on me when they arrest you because you're a whore now, I will get you again, or I'll get your mother, I'll get your sister, and I'll show the pictures I took of you at your school and your church. And that's how they work. One unspoken that I want to talk about for a little while, and I don't want to take too much time, so we have plenty of time for questions and answers, or questions, we'll see if I've got answers. I love seeing the men here. I love seeing the men here. What is the answer to trafficking of children for sex? Men. Men listen to men. If I were speaking to a group of girls, I said, you know what they think about when we talk? It's nya, 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 nya. <laughs> not that we're not given respect, but they're seen. They don't understand what it is to be a guy. And that's true. We don't understand what it is to be a guy. But we're not listened to by guys because... I don't know what it is to have a male brain. The process is different. God made our brains different. And I never will. And I won't have your experiences. I won't have your temptations, your fears, your joys. My husband tells me, he sings the song, he has a very good voice, and we have great-grandchildren, so I, I love it. But he sings a song like Cherish. There's an old song. Anybody know Cherish is the word? He cherishes me. It feeds me. I love it. He defends me. I respond to that different than a guy just hearing that. Now, if I told you, the guys, these guys are getting our kids. 
They're buying them for sex. They're driving the market. Some are beating them up and the others are buying them. You just say, just bring them up. I know what I can do with them. And most guys will tell me just that. Very rarely, because I, te- I actually teach police. We have police academies, and we teach with our undercover, and we've, we've developed training for them. I don't care if it's a group of law enforcement officers or just a group of guys. I get they all are like this. <laughs> and I hear in their brain, you know, it's going, it's going, I know what I do with them. Because naturally, God has created that defender within him. That man that says, I'm going to defend my family. I'm going to take care of them. Nobody's going to do that to somebody I love. We're different. A group of men of our board has decided they need a place for all men to stand for another reason. And they call themselves the defenders. There's about 3,000 now. And if you go to sharedhope.org, right at the corner at the top, www.sharedhope.org, but look up at the corner, there's a little button that says Defenders. Click on that button. When you go in, it tells you about the Defenders, but it's not hard. It says, take a pledge, guys. Take a pledge. Now, for you that are a Christian faith, it's kind of like knowing you were a sinner, because we all are, because we're all tempted. We maybe did something. We all start as sinners. And yet God covers us with his grace, right? He said, I don't even see that stuff. So the way they speak of it is not in Christian terms. I translated that, although they are Christian men in big part. But they said, you know, better from here to here on the scale. And it kind of goes like this, from temptation, the first time they see pornography on, on it used to be magazines, and pornography on, online, to here, to doing something else, to maybe being progressively into it a little more, to maybe going out, the average age of buying prostitution is 21 of entry, the first time, to buying someone like a slave and often totally against their core belief of ever treating someone as if they aren't a child of God. Because, by the way, the market is heavily Christian, and people of faith are buying. Once they get on this path, some call it addiction, some call it the, uh, the path that is like falling off a cliff, it seems to be that a certain number of men progress, even those, even those of faith, So they simply say, let's all start together and start over and say today a pledge. When you do it, you get a card. It reminds you, but you can also, I saw one man with it punched and it's laminated, and he wears it outside so people ask him about it. You uh, just simply say, I will not purchase or participate in pornography, prostitution, or any form in the commercial sex industry. Doesn't say you've done it. Doesn't say you're doing it in a choir. You're not speaking to a bunch of people. You're just talking to yourself and maybe to God. I will hold my friends accountable for their action toward women and children. That really means speaking out at times where you hear another man going to a strip club or speaking of women as property or speaking of prostitution as okay or pornography. And I'll take immediate action to protect those I love from this destructive market. 
Now, they have done a couple of other things. They've actually built out a village in Washington State. It's in an isolated place. One man gave the property, another renovated a five-bedroom house on it, and they built a path to freedom on the property where each person, each man, has a stone with their name on it, and they're growing those men and those stones so the women can see there are good men that aren't just speaking, not just abstaining, but actually care enough about them to be a part of their restoration. That, process, that is one of the hardest groups. That is a 17 to 22-year-old project. Uh, that's the age of the girls, and we will put them through college, and the men are committed to do that. Now, that's a true man. A man is a man that takes care of the people around them, speaks the truth, and restores and, and makes provision for others. They're doing something else that hasn't come out yet. Was anyone that won there last night at the Chosen showing? Raise your hand if you're at the Chosen showing. Some of you here in the front. Some of the student groups came together last night and I showed them a new video created by Shared Hope International for schools. And it's two girls telling how they were trafficked so they show the signs of trafficking. Both girls were trafficked in the United States. One was stalked from the age of 12 and one was stalked at the age of 17. Both were people of faith. Both were involved in churches. The younger one was really involved in a mega church group. One was poor, one was rich. Both were athletes. As I started working, they were both my cases. There's several I've worked that I've had for years here in America because once I get connected at the heart, I'm disconnected. And I started, I had one in a protective environment on the East Coast who had been moved, and she has moved four years ago now. But I started realizing that they could actually articulate how the traffickers worked. And now they were mature enough, they knew how they'd worked before they even knew they were being trafficked. Because you'll see, they have older guys, like older teenagers, maybe college students, infiltrate their lives, like at Starbucks, a mall, a school... And they start building relationships. It's not sexual even. It's just you tell a girl she's pretty or you just sit and listen to her 30 minutes and she's 13 and she thinks she, you love her. Now you that are psychologists, et cetera, realize I just spoke the truth. Females are verbal and they're affirmed and that young brain isn't developed yet to understand risk and why should you be afraid of him? He's telling her nice things. There's nothing wrong. And then he starts and he works to where she's vulnerable and then he takes off with her. The younger one, it was a boy in her neighborhood, and he got a finder's fee of four to $600 for setting her up. And within months, she was gone, and she was being sold in Las Vegas, Arizona, and my, um, Maine. These particular girls, though, it was meant to be for school assemblies, and the defenders looked out at the other night, not very long ago, and said, okay, we're going to train young men to present that in assemblies. We're going we're to train up high school and young college students, because we believe that the students will believe them, but also men need to hear it from men, how this happens, so they'll understand this is not victimless. Not the buying, not the pornography, not of any of it, and it'll speak right into the activity within the schools that's going on across the United States that sets these girls up. So the defenders are also educating with the film Chosen. Chosen's a very simple thing. You can get one copy, pass it around. You can, uh, there's a 20-minute core film. These girls teach youth what it is to understand what trafficking is and how the traffickers work. But there's no sexual or violence in it. It talks about how they work. Because, see, they're not violent when they're setting the girl up for trafficking, when they're enticing her or they're tricking her. 
That's not a violent time. So they're teaching that. There's a little bit of where the younger girl talks about the first night, and she speaks about after the first three guys that kind of look like her dad or like a granddad used her and how she threw up. That's about the most obnoxious thing in it, these girls tell. There's another storyline here, though, that we tell, that we think young men need to hear, that the defenders are going to come out, and it will be, be a defender, but be an Evan. Evan was a uh, young college student, and Brianna was the girl that had been his friend for a long time. They were kind of girlfriend, boyfriend for a while, but they were friends for years. And uh, she called him one night and said she was going to do something stupid, and you have to see Chosen. But he was troubled. It sounded like trafficking. He'd heard about trafficking at his church, and he'd heard about it. His dad had heard about it, and they talked about it. So he called his dad. His dad called the police. I was brought in to intervene for a variety of reasons. There are several cases in that area on the I-5 corridor from Seattle to Portland down to LA to Phoenix, that side of the country. And uh, so I was brought in to work with this girl. And what, what we started realizing is Evan was a hero. Why was he a hero? He took action. Who wants to rat out their friend? How many friends would not tell? The younger girl, her friends were call forwarding all kinds of things to protect the fact she was meeting a guy after school at Starbucks and at the mall, thinking it was kind of cool. Well, they've never seen her again. But Evan saved her life. He was a true friend. So the whole video production is how to protect yourself and how to protect your friends. And guys, how to protect the women around you in your school, your youth group. So it is something you can do, but I'm speaking to men because you are the answer. You can speak to men, you can actually be heard, and you can speak to those young men in a way that no grandmother, mother, friend, female Sunday school teacher can speak. So I challenge you today to not go away and say, I know more, but to change your law in your state. There's not one state that has a perfect law. To go get yourself educated. The little book, uh, Renting Lacey, is a two-hour read, and it's a primer on trafficking in America. It is like a novel. It speaks from 12 of the survivors that I've worked with, the victims of trafficking. They're real characters. It helps you understand, pass it around. Again, I'm not trying to make money on this. I'm trying to pass them around. Everything that I create, these are all my own uh, productions. I copyright to Shared Hope International anything that's made on them actually goes to these restoration projects. I can't bring justice and then not have a place for these girls. So helping groups like Manasseh here locally in Grand Rapids is a call to action. Find a place. Rescue missions often have traffic victims. Foster care systems often have foster care families. Crisis pregnancy centers are dealing with these girls. Find a place and serve somewhere. Because you see, God says that he loves the least of these. And when you're called a prostitute, and the crime committed against you is what you're labeled with, and you're denied justice, you're certainly perceived as the least of these in America. And with that, I guess I'm going to open up for questions.
All right, thank you very much. Um, if you have questions on cards that you'd like to have collected, please feel free to hold them up and ushers will collect them and bring them forward. If you are following us um, at a remote site or have your phone with you and like to uh, send a question to us electronically, the email address is jseries at kelvin.edu, or you can use the hashtag January series on Twitter. Um, and we'll get started with some questions. We would like to again thank our day sponsor, uh, Wedgwood Christian Services, and they are also responsible for helping to start uh, the Manasseh Project here locally, which is um, dealing with a lot of the issues that Ms. Smith has been talking about today. Um, so let's get started with a question that came in from a student. Um, how would legalizing prostitution affect both prostitution and child trafficking? I will try to keep this brief, but I did a project for the U.S. government and focused on investigating the countries with legal prostitution and what was happening after they changed compared to what was before. So I had Australia, I had the Netherlands as two of the countries, and Tokyo uh, City. And what I found is when it was normalized and legalized, there was a perception that it was okay. And it increased the market and people came to that market in larger numbers. The society would have to have a lot more law enforcement to enforce closed door encounters and that would not ha did not happen in any of, the in any of these cultures. So we found a, a, a huge expansion of prostitution with a thin veneer of cover and then not able to manage the number of people. Also diseases. Even though they would have the women who registered and became legal to be sold or bought, um, have clinical checks, they would be like a month. So if they had an encounter with a man that had HIV, they would still have the 10 men a day for the rest of the month, maybe 300 people that they had uh, uh, given this disease, who for some reason would have this feeling that it was safe because it was regulated. I just think uh, as a believer, also I will address it that way, that I don't believe God would ever support buying and selling of another person and demeaning that person. As a feminist, no way. question regarding trends in demographics since you've been uh, studying the issue. Do you see any uh, trends in demographics of people being trafficked in terms of race and ethnicity within the U.S.? There's definitely patterns of trafficking uh, for ethnic groups, and it's often by the ethnic groups. So we found that there's certain populations in the Asian communities that are actually bringing in people from countries for their own population. And there's often trafficking of their own within populations to the general. So there's definitely ethnic. In Japan, there were separate places just for, for Japanese men, separate from other play others, and there were only certain women allowed to be in them. Uh, definitely in the Netherlands, it was racial, and I, <clears throat> I really felt it was, uh, it was condoning uh, discrimination. I had quite a few discussions with leaders, and it was only when 25% of the population of people in the brothels became Dutch that they got alarmed because they were getting our girls. Well, what about the 75% were there? Somebody else's girl. I also found that most of these destination sites, the girls, the children, the women, could not have had the money to even fly or be moved, uh, or to move to the Netherlands, Europe, Australia, and therefore someone had to be in control of them, and you found that they were. 
Right, we've had a question come in both on Twitter and by email, people wondering, um, are young boys ever traffic, trafficked along mm -hmm. with young girls? We have a few, uh, I'm going to say projects, in that we try to develop systems and we try to help people that are doing something that are actually dealing just with boys. And um, uh, in, uh, uh, let's see, India in particular, uh, we found the boys were so different and they were selling themselves or somebody was selling them and they were selling drugs and they were rough and we finally put them in a military school. <laughs> but but it's, they're very different. The, you have to be really clear that you're not dealing with the same situation. The humility, the issues that have, things have happened to them, their manhood, there's, there needs to be a real thought through process and we have uh, I'm going to say a handful, no more than that, of groups we're working with that are deliberately working to develop models for males. All right. Um, a question. With the Super Bowl only a few weeks away, is there a relationship between large sporting events and prostitution? One of the first discoveries I had with the first interviews, the FBI brought me some of their, uh, some of the cases, some of the girls, and actually we had some of the other players too, and I'm actually talking, or getting ready to talk to a a pimp that has come out. Um, we found that uh, it's the market. If there's a lot of guys in one place, it's an easier market. And there's also a feeling of being away from home. So any large event anywhere, the Super Bowl is one of those. I wrote Renting Lacey around an actual event using 12 actual girls uh, who had been brought to this kind of an event an actual large event for a storyline and then use them and you can actually see exactly what's going on by reading Renny Lacey behind the scenes. You can see what they're doing. So there's an increased activity for that area but it has to, it has to do with an increased number of buyers being brought in and the violence is greater at these. If it's a violent sport, the violence, the girls are hurt worse. Okay, question from Twitter. What would you say to people who think that some prostitutes choose to stay prostitutes? Well, think about any woman in your life. Your mom, your sister, your wife. And do you remember when they were about five or six? Do you ever remember a time that they said, oh, when I grow up, I want to be a prostitute? What I found is that if they were not manipulated and forced, there was drugs involved, and the choices of choice of default around the world for survival. And so I think as a society, we would say, even if they're in your face and they're saying, I want to do it, that we just simply say, we have something better for you. And I just will not really accept that women would choose that if there's other options. They will prostitute out of hurt and they'll decide there's nothing else I can do. I'm just a prostitute anyway. Who would ever want me? And to you, if you're listening to me, you need to call Shared Hope International, leave your name for Linda Smith, and just say, I'm one of those women she talked about. And I will connect you with another woman who is married, who has gone through college, and there's many of them, and who has found that that was a lie. Being prostituted does not take away your hope, your dreams, or your possibilities. And we're here for you. Um, I've received several questions about um, the role of pornography and um, one wondering what the role is in driving the demand for sex. And also, um, they have a another who has a friend who's addicted to pornography and what could you tell a friend to help? 
there's quite a few groups out there in the churches, and I really love Celebrate Recovery, and there's other ones. There's Pure Hope, and they're dealing with this issue. The best thing you can do if you have somebody that you know is addicted to, uh, to pornography, come alongside of him, and if you're a man, come alongside of him and go with him to one of these meetings. And if you're a woman, go with them because there's different meetings. They usually split up and there's pornography, there's addiction to um, uh, sex, there's addiction to drugs, and there's people to support them. So there's a place for you. I'm not, I don't work for them or anything. I've just had a lot of men who my husband works with as he works with men that are broken, especially coming out of prison or off of drugs, uh, just his ministry. Uh, his minister call, and um, they've been very helpful. We do not work with the offender recovery, whether in jail offender or a person that's addicted, but there are some great people there. Don't make them go by yourself, so be, be a man, be a friend. And if you have a problem, go to a friend and go together, because I find it's really interesting. There seems to be some it's okay to go to these and not even be addicted. People are coming to support other people, so they're not perceiving that everybody going is a dirty old man or anything. I just love that, that group. Or become a defender and have stand with a man and say, let's do this. Let's draw the line in the sand right now, kind of like when we were converted to Christianity and were saved, if you are a Christian. And uh, we're just going to go together, and we're going to walk our walk forward together. Right, thank you. A question from a remote site wondering about um, the states that have passed legislation with harsh penalties. Um, have you noticed a demand or a decreased demand from buyers in those states? Most states have changed their law in the last 24 months. And we are in the process of looking at all prosecutions in a five-year from 2008 to uh, just a couple months ago. We've closed that. And we think there's an increase, but we don't have the research done. Um, but we'll never be able to know when they, we start getting these in the paper how many men are going to go, ugh. I don't want my main name in the paper. I don't want them to take my car. I don't want them to take my assets. I think maybe there's a cost. Maybe I just won't do it this weekend. Or this Super Bowl, I'm going to do something else. All right. Um, I've gotten several comments from people both in the audience and um, online saying that Michigan is currently working to change uh, their laws, and there's a package of bills that are passing through the House currently, and that uh, Attorney General uh, Bill Schuette will be speaking to that on February 5 here in Grand Rapids if people are right. interested. Now, specifically from a college student uh, wondering, you've mentioned several things that people can do to get involved, but what specifically could college students do to make a difference? Well, when I was with your group last night, it just looked like potential for me. Your, your biggest thing you do is you make sure everyone on campus knows that it is not victimless to use pornography. Now, some will anyway, but some have really never thought about it. Next, you decide how you are going to educate everyone on child trafficking and get them ready to go to lobby for these bills. Then you can go on, online to Shared Hope's site, and we will be telling you which bills actually raise the grade. You're going to see which bills, well, they're principles within, oh, I, they tell me not to say it that way, but they're principles within the 41 places in the law that we analyze. So change the law, 
Change, raise awareness here. And that if you get to go home or you in a youth group, get chosen before your youth group. If you're involved with the school and you're still in where you could do an assembly, go take this as an assembly into a school. There are lots of things you can do. A question that came in on Twitter, would finding sellers and trying to shut down the brothels be more sustainable and effective than more harshly prosecuting buyers? Would... The first part of that was the uh, sellers? Would it be more effective to find the sellers and to shut down the brothels? Would that be more sustainable and effective than prosecuting the buyers? The buying is happening in hotels all over the United States by going online and placing an order. Can't shut it down unless you shut every hotel down. Uh, we are aggressively, we, have, we register, we've actually built the law around in a lot of states around how to prosecute the buyer or the sellers. But I will say to you, there will all be, always be sellers when you can make $5,000 a night off of a couple of girls. There'll always be sellers. There'll always be people going after that money. So I don't think you can, if the market's there and the guys are out there buying and they're giving 10000 a weekend for girls like Brianna, who is, this, is the moderator of the, or um, well, actually Lacey was that one, but I've, I've chosen the video. There will be people, just like drugs are illegal, they'll go after it and they'll take the risk. So I don't think we can do any one of those things. We advocate all of them, including the hotels, including the taxi drivers. Anyone that was facilitate the sale of a child is involved in rape, is involved in kidnap, is involved in torture, and all of them should go to jail as the serious sex offenders that they are. Um, we've got a couple questions about um, legislation and pressuring lawmakers to make change and wondering why um, it's been so slow to gain traction and what's holding government back from enacting these tough laws. I actually think it's going pretty fast. Um, I worked on the anti-smoking smoking efforts uh, years ago and the domestic violence efforts, and I felt like we were pushing uphill. Man, when we drafted the actual prototypes for the state or the framework laws, I mean, two years ago, it wasn't a felony. I mean, we've got 46 states that it's a felony. I actually think it's going pretty fast. I just want Michigan to jump on. There is a reason, though. It's a cultural reason told to me very clearly, kind of like Lawrence Taylor just told you. But it was the chair of a committee, and he says, Linda, we need to have strong penalties for serious offenders. He does not believe a man that buys sex brings money to the crime versus just doing the crime is a serious offender. So that's a cultural change, and for that to change, you're all going to have to speak to your legislature. And quite often, it is the committee, judiciary committee uh, head, and he usually is an older man, and he's been there a while from my experience so far. Now, I, don't, I haven't even looked at Michigan. It could be a young woman, and I wouldn't know right now. All right, we've got a question from a remote site in Canada wondering if you can address trafficking laws in Canada or have any knowledge of that. I, I do not have a lot of law, uh, uh, legal um, knowledge of Canada. I do know that we have a consortium of the Americas that Canada's very involved in and we've worked with them and they're doing a lot of the same things and having a lot of the same struggles because it's a human struggle. So no, I cannot specifically because you have different sets of law. Your criminal law is Canadian overall. Washington, our, um, America's criminal law we have the Tenth Amendment, right? So each of our states has a constitution, so we have 50 different sets of law. 
So even though there's, there is law at the local level, the criminal law for Canada overall is, is a national umbrella, and that makes the discussion somewhat different. So I, I, I will pass on anything other than that. Right, fair enough. Um, a question came in online as well. Um, you've talked a lot about men tra traffickers, but aren't there a number of women traffickers out there too, moms selling daughters, for example? Somebody knows what they're doing. Yeah. Trafficking is any exchange, any exchange for something of value. So the child is, the landlord gets to use the kid for rent. That's trafficking. Mom needing drugs, exchanging drugs for child, that's trafficking. So definitely that is trafficking. And yes, there are willful women who were not trafficked themselves who see it as a means of income. But it's a tough world out there between... Grand, uh, it's a tough world out there. You have to be a pretty good negotiator to be a woman and stay at the top of the pile. And I think that, that what you find when they're charged with trafficking is they were that 13-year kid who was trafficked and she survived and she's called what is called the bottom. And she's kind of the, guy, the girl that the guy uh, trusts and or to manage the other girls. And she's made to be violent. Uh, she has things terrible happen to her if she doesn't manage them. And then often she's charged with trafficking. So yes, there are females involved. All right, then uh, one final question. Uh, what country is doing well at uh, combating this issue and why? And are there other models that we could follow to help improve the situation? You know, where all the countries are struggling with the issue of do you charge the woman and the man or just charge the man and not the woman? There are some countries that are saying we're going to just charge the men and not the women. And they seem to be getting some traction. But I don't have enough information to understand it totally. And I kind of have this little problem with giving any walk on anybody. I have a tendency to say, buying and selling another human being is horrible in the eyes of my God. And he says they're all precious. So, All right. Well, Ms. Smith will be available in the lobby to sign books if you'd like to have uh, further discussion with her there. Let's thank her for coming again. Thank you.